not just acknowledge that we have received a couple of very powerful prophetic words as City River over the last number of months. The Lord spoke to us about us being a place of outburst, where there's going to be such evangelism that people are going to find and encounter God here among us, and that's been happening. Uh, Also, I want to remind those of us who made it up to the retreat, either for the full time or for the Saturday, uh, that God also spoke to us that this city river is going to be one of the happiest churches in the world. So, to continue with that, I want to just stop for a minute and have you look at somebody and say, Hi, happy church. Now, I know not everybody made it up to the retreat, and that's okay. Unfortunately, it's, it's what it is. Next year, we're hoping that all of us can make it. And whatever the obstacles are, we worked very hard, and we will continue to work to make sure that no obstacle stands in anybody's way to be with us all together as the Lord speaks to us. Uh, we've had a wonderful time. Sujin did an amazing job coordinating. I just want to acknowledge that. I don't know if you guys did that last week. Did, you, did we do that here last week? No? Okay. We did it at the retreat, but there's many others that weren't there. So Sujin took the lead. Uh, Jason helped us with uh, games and uh, mixers. Uh, the worship team did an amazing job. Uh, the, the, the guys with sound, Sagwan, where are you? Bless you. Uh, guys on the computer with projection. Uh, everybody sort of pulled together. And uh, we came together, and, and the Lord actually blessed us when we heard some of the testimonies from those that have been coming to the Lord and shared with us their experience. The uh, interesting thing is the words happiest on earth. Are you happy? Bless you. Bless you, Layla. Yeah. Who's not happy? And it's okay if you're not happy. It's okay to be honest about it. Who's not really happy today? You're okay. No, the scripture tells us rejoice. And always, again, I say rejoice, right? So who's not happy? Because I have something up my sleeve... And it's not my sermon. I have something up my sleeve that I'm going to talk to you afterwards. If you're not happy, that will make you very, very happy. Who's not happy? No, no, no. I don't want you to just say it. If you, okay. I'm really delighted that you are all very happy. One of the things that echoed in... He's not too happy? Seriously? Or is he just kidding around? No, he's not too happy. All right, so we have somebody who's not happy. That doesn't cut it for me, right? When we're together, no matter what's going on in our life, when we're in the presence of God, something shifts. And we walk away with a bubbling over on the inside. And we're going to pray that as the, as the service is over, that you're transformed on the inside and that it shows on the outside. I see your sadness right now over you. 
So in the name of Jesus, we just speak peace over you. Whatever is causing your mind to, to feel down, whatever is causing your emotions to react to the circumstances, that you would see yourself above the circumstances, seated in Christ in the heavenly places, and that every situation you touch, no matter whether it's physical, financial, emotional, relational, whatever the situation, that you attack it from his position down as opposed to from being under, under it. You reign over it. You have authority, and we believe that you're going to have breakthrough, not just you, but all of us. Amen? So some of us didn't put our hands up because we feel shy, we may feel awkward. I appreciate the honesty of the one who spoke and said, I'm not feeling too happy. Okay? So we stand together with you, and we're going to contend for what the word of the Lord is for us, that we are going to be the happy, one of the happiest churches on this planet. I believe that. I believe that because his presence among us will make us very happy. I know she's, Wanda, by the way, when she said it, she didn't say you're going to be the happiest. And I wouldn't be happy if I was the happiest. So automatically, I wouldn't be the happiest. Because that would mean that if I'm the happiest, somebody else is not happy. So we don't want to be happiest. We want to be one of the happiest. As we finish that conference or that retreat, our family went away on the Monday. And as soon as she spoke the words, the happiest people, I was reminded of a book called The Happiest People on Earth. How many have read that book? Okay. Very few of us. It's a book about an Armenian man who left Armenia or Turkey at the time in a city called Karakala when they received prophetic words that there's a massacre coming against the Armenians in Turkey. And they moved from Turkey to the east coast of the U.S., there was an 11-year-old boy that received the prophetic word, and he would go and spend time, hours on hours. He was Russian, Pentecostal, before Azusa Street. Azusa Street is in 1906 when the Holy Spirit came down on a group of people in California, in L.A., and they started to speak in tongues as they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Before that happened, in Russia, there was a group of believers that experienced the same thing. And they would come over the border from Russia to Turkey and to Armenia, and they would share it with the believers there. And the believers there at that time were only the Armenians. So they would share it that there is more. There is more that God wants to do with you. He wants to fill you with his spirit, and he wants to give you an encounter that you would meet with him one-on-one and speak his will, his mind, prophesy, share with others what he's showing you. So this 11-year-old Russian boy was known to spend hours and sometimes days fasting and praying. And he went into this time where for seven days he was alone in a room and he started to write. He was uneducated. There was no schools for him. So he didn't know anything about writing. But he took paper and he started to scribble and wrote and drew. And he drew out the map of the Mediterranean Sea, all the way to the east coast of the United States. And he drew even the, the, the entirety of the map. Like everybody thought when he was scribbling, he had no geography lessons. He had no way of knowing what the maps looked like. And he started to write in legible Russian that there is a massacre coming and that you people should move According to the will of God, he wants to protect you, protect your family. So move, take your families and leave here and go all the way to across the water. 
Initially, they thought he's talking nonsense. But they knew that he was accurate. And he heard the voice of God. Because he had history in manifesting the prophetic word that he would carry. So they moved family after family. Demas's family didn't move until much later. But part of the word was don't stay there. Go west to the end of the land. So they moved from East Coast USA to California. They were refugees. They had nothing. They had left everything behind. They sold all their goods and they settled there. And then they got more and more prophetic words. And within this family, they only would give birth to girls. They were known to be a family of no boys. And then the Lord spoke to them again through a prophetic word. And they had this little boy called Demos. D-E-M-O-S. Demos. And Demos became the grandfather of this whole family. And they established a dairy business. And they became the largest dairy farm milk producers in the world. They had over 3,000 heads of cows at that time, heads of cattle at that time. And they started to minister, not as pastors, but as helpers to help leaders in the church to bring business people together for the sake of establishing a platform where each of them would share the gospel. So when they had this first meeting, and it took a while before they landed on this, the grandson now, whose name was Demos, Demos Jr., This is the demos that everybody has met and talked about. And he's met with presidents. He's met with kings. He's met with leaders in the church. So he would come into the meeting. He was not a speaker. He was a farmer, a a cattle farmer, a dairyman. He knew about the price of milk. He knew about the price of, you know, feed and all the rest of that. He ran a good business. So in the midst of all of this, he would stand there and the Lord would shine a light on different people. He would be the only one that sees that light. His wife next to him, Rose, who was the pianist that would sing and lead the worship, she wouldn't see that light. But he would see a light come down like a beam on somebody, and he knew he had to call that person to the front to share their testimony. And this happened over and over and over again. And out of that kind of meeting was born what is now called the Full Gospel Businessmen's Fellowship International. A big mouthful. But that became the platform that over many, many nations, simple, everyday people, not big name evangelists and healers and pastors, but simple, like you and me, everyday people would attend a breakfast meeting, sometimes once a month, sometimes once every week, and they would share their stories. They would get up as the spirit would direct. When he was in the meeting, he would see who it was that had to share And he didn't know their stories. It would be, let's say he goes into a different city and they're having their first meeting. He would know who the speakers had to be the day of. It would be no agenda, no plan. He would just go in, pray, and he would see the light come down on Susanna, let's say. And he would say, Susanna, come up here. You have a story? What is your story? And Susanna would start sharing. The other day I was going through whatever and this is what the Lord did. And, and as she would be sharing that, boom, 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 different people in the room would either be healed, would either be filled with the Spirit, or would start crying and repenting and accepting the Lord as their Savior, like what we're experiencing here when people come in and they don't understand the language. In the middle of worship, people are being saved. So this phenomenal, this phenomenal phenomena took me back to that book, and I read it all through that week while we were away. And it, 
it stirred something in me that I'm convinced that what the Lord has in store for us is to make us one of the places on earth that His light shines. It may be in this corner here at 2537 Bayview. It could be somewhere else in the city. Or it could be in all the different cell home group meetings. That we're going to be known across the world that we are a people whose presence attracts the presence of God. That when we come together, God is drawn to come into our conversation. He's always there. He's everywhere, right? He's omnipresent. But when He sees us come together, He is attracted, and that will become very attractive for many people that will want to experience and touch the very presence of the living God, and they will be healed, they will be touched, they will be restored, there will be families coming back together after divorces, there will be people that are healed, I'm prophesying now, there will be people that are healed without anyone touching them, there will be people filled with the Spirit, there will be things that are happening that your mind can't even imagine yet. Are you ready for it? It can't happen just like that, by the way. It won't just happen. He is gracious and he does things beyond our ability, for sure. But we have to prepare a platform for that. We have to prepare ourselves for that. We have to be like Mary, spending time in the presence of God so that when an angel shows up, she recognizes that it's an angel and not a demon. We have to be like Zechariah who's been constantly going into the temple and trimming the candles and praying to the point that he even forgot what he was praying about when the angel showed up and told him the prayer that you've been praying has been answered. We have to get to that point where our conversations with the Lord and with one another prepare a platform for us, for him really, for him to land his presence among us and to do with us things that will shift us from where we are today So that we could look totally like Him when we are together. Totally like Him even when we're alone. When we go somewhere where it's dark and you step in and the Lord says, Go into that place that I want you to go in because you are a light carrier. You are the presence of God's vessel. He lives in you. He wants to dwell in you and He wants to flow through you to touch the lowest points in humanity. Prepare yourself. Some of you are going to be ministering to drug addicts. Some of you are going to be ministering to prostitutes. Some of us are going to be ministering to these people. Because God loves them as much as he loves you and me. They're no different. They've just been dealt a bad hand. You've been dealt a bad hand for crying out loud. I've been dealt a bad hand. And we're contending to make the hand that we have sufficiently glorious. To contain his presence. Because he takes the worst and makes the best out of it. I want to share a few stories with you. As though that wasn't a story. I love maps. How many of you love maps? Before Google Earth was a thing... How many of you know what Google Earth is? Before Google Earth was a thing, I had downloaded Google Earth on an old Windows computer. Sorry. Windows uh, had an application called Google Earth, and Google Earth was basically Google Maps on steroids. 
And it would allow me to basically fly over certain parts of the world as though I was in an airplane and get down really low and look into the streets. And uh, uh, what's going on here? Okay. It's good. It's working. All right. You got a left technology. I really need you to see these pictures, so I'm going to take a minute and just ask you to bow your heads and pray that technology would work well. All right. Thank you, Lord. How many recognize this picture? Somebody over there. What is it? China. How many recognize this picture? All right. What map is this? Sorry? Louder? I'm glad you didn't say north or south. You just said one, Korea. Amen. How many recognize this map? Japan. But let me show you how I see these maps. Okay? I don't see them just as maps. I see them like this. Right? I see China like this. A rooster. Every child in China is taught, I'm not kidding. Every child in China is taught that their nation's map looks like a rooster. Do you see the head over there? Here's the head. Whoa. And here's the feet. And here's the butt. Right? Sorry, I said butt. Okay. But that's the rooster. And what is... Why is it a rooster? Because I believe that God in his... And this is scripture now. In Acts 17, Paul talking is explaining that every nation has been given by God. Number one, it's time. Number two, it's borders. In other words, this outline isn't random, isn't because they won that war and they lost that war. It is defined by God for that specific time. So this map here says that China is going to be a rooster. What do roosters do? They wake up early in the morning. But what else do they do? They wake everybody up. Right? I'm sorry for the sound effects. My wife hates it when I do them. I'm sorry. So that wasn't bad. Okay. Let me try again. No. Okay. So it is a rooster and it is going to be used by God to declare a sa- to release a sound and declare it's time to wake up. So watch China and what's going on. Specifically today as you watch the news on Hong Kong. Some things are going on that are are very unpleasant. We were just there. We saw the situation firsthand. We're praying for the people that are there. There's even some things that are shifting within the church that God needs to fix in the hearts of the individuals in the church. Korea. What do you see? 
You see a map. A rabbit. Wow, I'm not the only one. Okay, what are rabbits known for? Big ears. In other words, what do you do with big ears? You listen. When you listen, what do you hear? So as Koreans, those of us among, among us here that are Koreans, you have the ability to have very sharp hearing. You will hear the voice of God when it's even a whisper. And even if it's just his feet walking in the garden, you will be able to hear them. And you have this unbelievable ability to reproduce very fast. Right? So watch out. You are known to be people of prayer. Every church in, in, in Canada has a basement room that is heated, floor heated. Did you know that? Every church that's built in Toronto, every Korean church that I know of, there may be some that have been built earlier. But the five o'clock prayer, the early morning prayer, you people are, Koreans are violent with your prayer. You know, when we go to different gatherings, we have the Egyptians pray, we have the Americans pray, but when we want violence, we say, okay, we're going to do this Korean style. You know what Korean style prayer is? Everybody standing and shouting to the top of their lungs as though God was deaf. Why? Because the passion inside, because they hear so sensitive, because they just, and they run fast. Now notice which way they're facing. They're facing east. Sorry, west. Which means that their heart is for the nations to the west of them. Now what about China? Which way is China facing? Why? Because it will see the coming of the Lord from the east. And it will shout and declare and release the sound to wake everybody up. And it will wake the church up to the coming of the Lord. These aren't just imaginary, imaginary things. These are DNA things, spiritual DNA things. So I wanted to, to talk about one more nation. And those of you who were at the retreat, you heard me talk about this. And it's this nation here. This is close to the heart of some of us here, especially the Armenian congregation. This photo is a used photo. We've used it often for prayer. When we'd get together for intercession Wednesday nights, we would use this photo. What do you see in this photo? A face, right? In which way is she facing? West. And now, you have to understand certain things as to the way the Lord spoke to us about this lady. This lady faces Turkey. She's beautiful, isn't she? Wow. This is a very historic site right here at her throat. This site is the site where your great, 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 grandfather landed the ark. Okay? Noah. He's not just your grandfather. He's everybody else's in the room. He was the father of the three sons that ended up populating, repopulating the whole planet. So all of us go back to this little mountain, Mount Ararat. I've spoken at length about Ararat. Ararat, in Hebrew, the word arar means curse. The word ararat means the curse has been lifted. So when the judgment on the earth came at the time of the flood, the people landed here because the curse has been lifted and the Lord has given a new chance for humanity to re-exist. So this woman is facing west. Now, this border up here is her border with Georgia. This border here is with Azerbaijan. 
This border down here is Iran. And this border here is Turkey. So face-wise, she faces Turkey. And this border has been totally closed for years. So the Lord spoke to us about the fact that her eyes are closed. Her mouth is closed. Her nose is closed. She cannot smell the beauty, the beautiful fragrance of the Lord. She can't speak His glory. She can't taste His goodness. She can't see His beauty. And then as we were in prayer, the Lord put on somebody's heart that there's another element here. What do you see here? Another face. What kind of face? A lion. So we understood that to mean that she had turned her back to the Lion of Judah. But at the same time, he has never left her back. He has been her protector. He has been her watchman. He has been her covering. And then we saw another something up here. I couldn't quite see it the way that others were seeing it. And I see, like my imagination is very wild. Ah, somebody saw a skull. So at one point, we thought it was a skull and that Armenia's mind is obsessed with death. The death of the genocide. And we started to talk about it that way. But in fact, we talked about it both ways. As, you know, Armenia's mind is obsessed with the death that it had suffered as a, as a uh, victim of the genocide. But also the fact that Jesus' death is what liberates her. And we talked about that with the Armenian leaders in Armenia. And we shared this picture and they were fascinated and they were very uh, blessed by it. They use it now. They talk about it prophetically. But at the retreat... Some of one of you approached me and he said, I don't see a, a crown, a, a skull. I see something else. Who was it? I don't remember. I honestly don't remember. Was it you? Salpi. She came and she said to me, I see something else. And I said, what do you see? And she, see, she says, I see a, a lamb. And guess what? It fits. Her obsession, Armenia's obsession, is that she became a sacrificed lamb. And it's as a sacrifice lamb, if it's not properly landed, you feel you are a victim. But in fact, she's been prepared by Christ, who himself is both the lamb and the lion. And she has a destiny that the Lord has in store to allow her to manifest the power of the lamb on the cross and the lion on the throne. Why am I telling you all of this? Well, here's the why. It started for us with this picture. This was in 2010, 2011. By 2014, I was invited to travel with Majid El Shafi of One Free World International to go to Turkey, to Armenia, to Turkey, and then to Iraq. That was my first trip outside of Canada. Actually, it was probably my first trip outside of Toronto in ministry, other than some watchman meetings and, and so forth. But as we went there, different things happened. So I'm going to show you a book that I've held very close to my heart, and I haven't shared it with anybody. I've only shared it with my immediate family. This was a gift that I received from one of the young people, one of the couples that I was involved with in Turkey, Armenia. So here is the book, and it starts off with a picture of a salt covenant. They actually printed this book up. It's a photo book, and they sent it to me by, uh, by courier. And uh, it's a story, and they tell the story. 
This book is dedicated to Hany Bogosian, who has been a forerunner in the reconciliation movement amongst Armenians. It doesn't say between Armenians and Turks. Armenians. With love, Peter and Shushan Telian. Now, this doesn't tell the whole story. This just says Hany. But this is all of you. Without you, I wouldn't be there. Without your prayers sustaining me when I'm gone, I couldn't do any of what I'm doing. We're doing this together. You may be there, you may not be. At the retreat, we've all gone and received the word, happiest church, one of the happiest churches on earth, together. Whether you're there or not, you're going to benefit. Okay? All of this stuff, when Abraham was spoken to by God, I'm going to bless you and make you a blessing. It wasn't about Abraham. It was about Abraham and his house, his family. When he goes to Adam and he says, Adam, this is your garden. It wasn't about Adam. It was about Adam and his whole family. Every prophetic word that you receive has elements that are personal to you, but are also corporate to the circle that you're a part of. Let me repeat that. Every prophetic word, and I say that with boldness, every prophetic word that God gives you has elements that are personal to every dream that you dream has elements that are personal to you. It must, because it touches you and the details in which God speaks to you. Not every prophecy that you receive is only for the big city or the big country or the globe. It is also for you. It has an element in there that touches you. In history, as you read throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament, you find that every one of the prophets, when they spoke, there was an element in it that touches the person they're speaking to, but also the telescopic bigger picture. So when it's honoring me, it's honoring all of you. This is me at, on Huntley Street at the, at the 100th anniversary at the Armenian Genocide Memorial. And this is the group that went in 2014. Three members of Canadian Parliament, Majid al-Shafi and myself. And we met a whole bunch of different leaders in Armenia. And then when we came back, we met with Hakan Tashtan, who is a Turkish pastor from Istanbul, and this is at Catch the Fire. We had the uh, ambassador of Armenia. And we had a moment of reconciliation where we exchanged Bibles. I, I gave him a gift of an Armenian Bible. He gave me a, a Turkish Bible. And then from there, the following year, I went to Turkey. And this is an Istanbul house of prayer. Guess who manages it? A Korean. His ears are sharp. And he moves fast. You, it's hard to catch a rabbit. They hear you before you show up. So in a nation that is very dark and very anti-Christian, God used Koreans to establish a house of prayer, to open up a platform for people to worship the Lord and to hear his, together. We left the house of prayer and we came back. And this is why they said reconciliation amongst the Armenians. Because when we were there in the room, the night before we met with the Turkish pastors, the Armenians themselves were not reconciled. It was a group of Armenians from Armenia and a group of Armenians from the West. Just like if today we had a group from Korea, chances are the Koreans from Korea would be sitting together and the Koreans from Canada would be sitting together. And something would, would need to happen to cause them to mix. Because there's always assessments and ideas and, and false expectations that are built up by the enemy or by circumstances that cause us to feel that we're different. But we're not. And this is the beauty of what I see here. We're all mixed. There isn't an area where it's Armenians and an area where it's Iranians and an area where it's Koreans and an area which, which is some mixed Canadians. 
we're all sitting amongst each other because God has brought us to the place that we're happy together. We're happy to see the glory of God amongst us together. And it's exciting. The next day we met with the Armenians and we started to uh, enter into covenants with them, uh, sorry, with the Turks. And uh, this man here came last minute and this is his daughter. He doesn't speak a word of English. He only spoke Armenian. So she had to come with him as his translator. The Lord gave me this thought to take with me maple syrup. Maple syrup, because the land of Canada produces a lot of it, and it comes from the tree that is the maple tree, which is on our flag, and because the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. So I felt that as a Canadian, I had to take maple syrup to sweeten up their, and make them sticky with each other. So I gave one to a, a Turkish pastor, uh, in an Armenian in Turkey, uh, an Armenian pastor, and then also a Turkish pastor. And then we danced. I've never danced in my life, but that was the first time I danced. Anyway, I mean, uh, in worship. I'm not much of a dancer. Anyway, that's his daughter, and that's the pastor. And then they entered into reconciliation acts where they washed each other's feet. There was a group of young people there. And we were blessing them. And this is Peter, one of the guys that was key to putting all of this together. He's from California, now had moved to uh, Turkey. And the Lord had used them to ignite something. But there was, there was lament you could hear in the room constantly. Until such a time that the Lord released a sound. And sound is very critical. So I'm very conscious of the sound that our worship team releases. I'm very conscious of the sound that some of you shout out in the middle of worship. I try to discern what is the Lord actually doing. Sometimes some of us shout and do whatever. And it may be disturbing for some others because it's taking you off of your own track where you're in worship. And somebody all of a sudden screams something and it just jars you. Try to discern what the Lord is speaking through that. Why is that person shouting? Are they just losing their mind? I don't think so. But what is the Lord doing with it? It may be discomfortable or uncomfortable, but in that discomfort, try to discern what the sound that the Lord is trying to release is. Because each of us, do you remember those things in science that would rotate when light hits it? They were silver and black or white and black and sitting on top of a pin inside a glass bubble. And then you had a flashlight and then the flashlight would hit the white and it would cause it to spin. We're like that in our spirit. When the Spirit of God touches us, something inside of us reacts. We're made for that. But that reaction isn't always mature. Sometimes it's just, ah! You know? Sometimes it's a prophetic word that's sharp and and accurate. Sometimes it's necessary for it to be just, ah! Okay? But how do we handle that as the rest of us? How do we hear God's voice in the rest of that? We walk together as a family and as a community. Some of us will scream at times. Some of us will jump at times. Some of us will be very peaceful and quiet at times. But in the midst of it all, let's hear what the sound that the Lord is speaking to us as a community is. Out of that came a conversation between these two guys that met at a music conference in the U.S. One guy was stuck on the keyboard and this guy comes and helps him. Or vice versa, I don't remember the details. And at the end of it, they hugged each other and they got to know each other. They were in worship together and they fell in love with one another's hearts. And at the end, they exchanged information. And the Armenian guy discovers that this guy, his name is Orhan, which is a Turkish name. And everything about him had taught him that he can't be friends with a Turk because of his culture. And the Lord brought them together and they started to work. We met this woman whose whose name is uh, Susanna. She lost her husband when... 
three Turkish boys went into the publishing house, they were missionaries from Germany, and stabbed him and two other Turks to death. Big news. The newspapers come to that village. It's uh, big news all over Turkey. Why these three Turks killed the three Christians, two Turks and a German. Uh, the media comes to her. The first question they ask her is, how do you feel? What's going on inside? And she says, I forgive them. And that shook all of Turkey. How can someone who just had his husband killed forgive the killers? Then we went from there and I found the tomb of the great-grandfather, excuse me, I found the tomb of the commander of the Turkish army who was responsible for killing the Armenians in my village. So he was either the one who killed my great-grandfather or was there witnessing as it happens. I blessed, I forgave, I poured water, I cleansed his headstone, and then we moved from there. And then we went to uh, another city where we had a salt covenant again on top of the hill. This is now a Turkish village, but it used to be an Armenian village. And then out of that came the sound of the bridegroom. Now I'm showing you all of this because it relates to that girl and her face. And what it's going to take for God to prepare a people that will open up the, the face. The eyes that are closed, the nose that, are, that is closed, and the mouth that's op- uh, closed. What's it going to take to open that up? In the spirit and in the natural. The voice of the bridegroom and the voice of the bride. And these two people, I told you Peter, and I told you Sean, who was there to translate for her father, fell in love. And they asked me to go and marry them. Or officiate their marriage. <laughs> Yeah, we're not into that kind of thing. But uh, anyway, they prepared it at a Christian retreat center in Turkey. And here she is, the bride. And this is interesting. This is Sand from California. Uh, She's coming. um, We're waiting for her to come down. And they come and they're standing there. And I officiate. And then in the middle of it, here you'll notice that there are three candles. And these three candles were placed in soil. One was the soil from California where Peter was born. One is the soil from Armenia where Shushan was born. And another was the soil from Turkey. And this is the soil from Turkey where they put the big candle representing their new life together and they lit it. But what's interesting is this man here. This is Pastor Ali. Pastor Ali is a Turkish man, born Muslim, came to discover who Jesus Isa is, became a believer, is now pastoring multiple, uh, two, three churches. And he came and shared these words with them. And he said to them, guys, a hundred years ago, we killed your ancestors, your grandparents, and we kicked them out of the land. And since that time, the land hasn't had the light of God. And killing continues even to this day. I welcome you back on behalf of the church in Turkey. Come, establish your home, Light your light and become a light to my nation, please. We celebrated. This is their family. And this is them today. Peter, little baby Sahar, and their little son Noah. And they are leading a church, sorry, they're leading a school that launches tomorrow. And it's a school that is a missionary preparation school teaching Armenian young people how to become missionaries in Turkey and go and live there and truly become the lights to the point of dying. 
Sorry. I have a, a short clip that I want to end with. And if we can have sound, then we're going to enter into communion. This is a, a different story. Yeah, I'm connected. I just need the sound. This is a different story about a man who was a pastor in Germany during the Second World War. And he was uh, a very much of a pacifist. He believed the scripture. He didn't want to kill anyone. He lived his life on those standards. And then he got drafted into the army, the German army. And he found a way because he was a theologian, to get out of the country and to come to the U.S. He's written a book that some of you may have read. His name is Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And Okay, keep praying. He wrote in his book called The Cost of Discipleship. When I told you that for us to be one of the happiest churches in the world, there's a preparation. And this preparation doesn't just include us learning to be happy, but it involves us learning to be like Christ. So in his book, The Cost of Discipleship, he writes this, The cross is laid on every Christian. The first Christ's suffering, which every person, man, must experience is the call to abandon the attachment of this world. It is that dying of the old man, which is the result of his encounter with Christ. As we embark upon discipleship, we surrender ourselves to Christ in union with his death. We give over our lives to death. There's many religions today that that promote dying as a sacrifice to appease God. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about dying to my preferences, but still remaining alive. Dying to my choices, but still remaining alive to serve and love others. So that they would have a channel to receive Christ's love through me. It's not about me blowing myself up and killing others. It's about me sacrificing, just like my master did, for the sake of others. We give of our lives over to death. Thus it begins. The cross is not the terrible end to an otherwise God-fearing and happy life. But it meets us at the beginning of our communion with Christ. And then he wrote these words. And we sing these words in one of our songs. When Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. When Christ called you, when he called me, He invited us to join him in his death. We have the table set up here. 
We're going to come to communion in a minute. I want us today for communion to be a different thing. We've talked about communion in different ways before, about us being one body, one loaf, one church, one with the mystical church and the, and the history of uh, the, the church, with the church across the globe. All of that is true. But it is also an act to remind us of his death. So as we come to the communion, to prepare for us to be one of the happiest churches on earth, it will involve us And this is what the class next week is going to open up about the scripture. And I invite you to come and attend the class after church next Sunday. It will help us to understand how to read the scripture and hear the voice of God to understand what the scripture is calling us to. So this video clip is is by an author, who Eric Metaxas, who's written about Bonhoeffer, a great biography. These are the words penned by Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a German pastor committed to fighting the Nazi regime. In 1939, Bonhoeffer was called to take up guns in the Nazi army. And in order to avoid rejecting his own convictions concerning war, and in order to save his own skin, Bonhoeffer arranged an invitation to leave Germany in order to teach theology in the U.S. He was in the U.S. for 26 days. I remember when I first heard about Bonhoeffer in the summer of 88, the friend of mine who was telling me about him said that, yeah, he was in America in 1939. Uh, he had effectively escaped the Nazis and figured out a way to, uh, to come here to teach. Uh, but he only ended up staying 26 days, even though friends of his, like Reinhold Niebuhr, had pulled strings and really done a lot to get him out of Germany because they knew he'd be sent to a concentration camp. Um, Bonhoeffer goes back. Why does he go back? He goes back, in a nutshell, because he believes God called him to go back. Uh, Bonhoeffer understood that to know God is to obey Him, and uh, you can't go wrong obeying God. We're all going to die. The question is, do we die doing the right thing? Uh, God calls us to be brave, and if you have real faith, real faith, bravery just comes naturally. Bonhoeffer was uh, somebody who really understood who God is, who he was. His decision to go back to Germany is something that I detail in the book because that we have lots of journals and letters and diary entries that he writes. And so we can really know what he was thinking. Uh, he was wrestling with God. He was reading the scriptures constantly and looking for God to speak to him through the scriptures. So he had that kind of understanding of God. You have a personal relationship and you have to allow the Lord to speak to you through the scriptures. And so um, it's an extraordinary period, 26 days, but uh, he does what he felt God called him to do, and he goes back. Bonhoeffer's words were prophetic. He left the U.S. knowing that he would face persecution. Because of his convictions of equality, mercy, and divine love, Bonhoeffer was arrested. He would die. Some of us are going to be called into very difficult situations. The Armenian genocide that took place, I told you, over 100 years ago, its story is told that uh, some of the people that were marched, there was hundreds of thousands that were killed and hundreds of thousands that were marched out of their homes, and they traveled down into Iraq, into Syria, into Lebanon, into Egypt. That's where most of us here have come from. Our grandparents were the ones that survived. And they continued walking. 
a story is told that there was, it wasn't a story, it's fact. The Turkish army would come and give you an option. Either become a Muslim and deny Christ or we'll kill you. And many of them stood there, held on to their faith and were killed right on the spot. Others were marched to their death, starved. Others, a few converted and kept their lives. As they were walking and being marched, the story is told that on some of the stones, some people wrote these words. As Jesus did not deny us, do not deny him. We have not denied him. Follow us. That's what made them the happiest people. Knowing that they're walking in the will of God. Some of us are being called upon in different circumstances to deny him. To have our mouth closed. I'm not saying go and be just like, you know, flaunted. But you'll know when the Spirit is asking you to speak. And when he asks you to speak, speak. When he doesn't ask you to speak, listen to him. Have the Korean ears. Listen to him and know when to not speak. So as we come to this communion, I believe that the Lord is bringing us now as a congregation, as City River, to a place that we're going to step into a preparation. He's going to prepare us. And I say this very soberly. A lot of you have asked me over the years, why don't you teach about the end times? And my answer has always been, because there's so many different opinions, which one should I teach you? And you would tell me, teach us what you believe. And I would tell you, that's only one of the opinions. And it's probably not always 100% true. Because there's so many different people that over the history of the church have divided over which is the way to interpret the future. So my answer has always been, I will teach you how to live today so that no matter which version of the future plays out, you will be ready. This is teaching you how to live today. I don't know when the persecution of the church will begin in a big way. But if I talk to the people in the Middle East, if I talk to the people in China, they will tell you the persecution is on. The persecution is on here in a different way. So this, knowing that we have been called to join him in his death, is the key for us to be happy and to us to be joyous no matter what the situation that we face is. So I'm going to invite Rob to come and join me and we're going to serve you the communion. And I'm going to invite you to join Dietrich Bonhoeffer in these words. And I'm going to ask the worship team to come back and lead us in this song. In this song, we sing about the wonderful cross. And the line in there says, He bid me come and die. You've sung it many times. This is what it means. Let's serve it.
I should mention that the bread today is gluten-free, so we're all sharing from the very same loaf.
this it's not a religious thing it's not a ritual it's a memorial what Jesus did the night before he was betrayed and then later crucified a couple of days later he was sitting with his disciples and it was the Passover and he took the bread and he took the cup blessed them distributed to them and told them to do this in remembrance of him to remember him in his death what he was speaking to them was code if, if you will or just a hint to remind them that this is the way to go live a life where you sacrifice for others live your life in such a way that you are a blessing to others so we continue to do that week after week month after month in some churches day after day but when we come to this it is a reminder of how our Lord, our God, lived His life as a demonstration for us. Jesus, we, we hold this, this um, little piece of bread that reminds us of your body that was broken for us said as often as we do this do it in remembrance of you and we remember that you were broken so we can become whole you were broken so we can become community you were broken so we can become healed you were broken so that the world can become whole and we remember and we're grateful Let's take the bread together. We hold this this cup of juice. That's a symbol of the of your blood, Jesus, that was shed. 
and you gave your blood and paid the price that we all deserve to have and you bled so we would be forgiven you bled so that we could have restored relationship with with God the Father you died so we can live and then you were resurrected so that we can be completely restored in our relationship to you and have the opportunity to be restored in relationship with each other and we remember that it cost you everything so that we can have all of that and we are grateful Let's take the cup together. Just pass your cups to the aisle. that picture of the map of Armenia with the lion and the lamb and the girl it's going to take people that will sacrifice themselves like the lamb to allow for other people to receive the gift of salvation the gift of glory the gift of peace Tomorrow, there's a launch of a school that is preparing Armenian missionaries, workers, to go into Turkey. It may mean their life. In our context, it's us preparing ourselves to sacrifice for the sake of others. So as we leave this place, watch for opportunities this week that the Lord will put you in a circumstance where your preference may have to take second seat your preference may have to be lowered for the sake of somebody else's life to be improved. When that happens, embrace it. You may be woken up in the middle of the night by a loud siren of an ambulance driving by. You may disturb, it may disturb your sleep. But it's the Lord asking you, through the sound of that siren, to pray for the person and the family in that vehicle. Your prayer may be just the thing necessary to bring peace, to bring healing. We don't know. But in every situation of discomfort, recognize that it takes the lamb to release the authority of the lion. And you have been given, we have been given the authority of the King of Kings, the Lion of Judah. And there's going to be a time when he roars. And when he roars, all his enemies will flee. And he's roaring right now through us. So in that situation where you're not happy right now, or you have come in and not happy, may the Lord's roar break over every situation that causes unhappiness in any one of our lives, that we would have our lives aligned to him who is the Lamb of God, who is also the king of that jungle, the king of this jungle, the lion that sits on the throne, and he roars. May his peace go with you. And may you be instruments of his peace 
and his light in every situation throughout this week and every day of your life. In Jesus' name, be blessed. Amen.